welcome to the Slam podcast. This is you're hearing the voice of Matt Chivers. I'm I'm hosting this week, um, and joining me, um, you you've all heard him, I'm sure, on the From the Clubhouse podcast, and sort of fleetingly on the all the gear podcast as well is Tom Irwin, um, because Alex Alex has left the, the, the Slam podcast started with. Alex Perry and George Cooper. Now it just now it contains Matt Chivers and, and Tom Irwin this week, previewing or like reviewing the PGA Championship. Um, so yeah, how do you feel about appearing on the on a, on a different on a rival podcast or, or a sister podcast? Well, it's it's a bit of a double edged sword, isn't it? I mean, I think I'm turning into National Club Golfers rent a quote basically. So every time someone needs an emergency podcast guest, I get the tap on the shoulder. Yeah. Uh, I think we should say our goodbyes to Alex. Said that the slam as an entity was his his baby eight eight years ago or whatever it was seven or eight years ago, uh, and it sort oh, of started it life it started life as a a video where he was sort of taking the Mickey out of um, uh, anything and anything that was happening in the world of tour golf, uh, and then it evolved into a podcast. So he'll be missed, won't he, with his sardonic take on golf and not taking it too seriously. But I'm saying the king is dead, long live the king, Matt. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I was only Alex's colleague for... Th- the king is not dead, by the way. The king's only just been coronated, in case you <laughs> panicking. Yeah, yeah. I was only Alex's colleague for three and a half months. No, no but I thoroughly enjoyed working with him and doing the podcast with him. Um, yeah, um, I didn't realise the slam had been going on for that long. I didn't realise podcasts had been a thing that long for, for eight years. No, it used to be like t- like little short video clips, like a sort of uh, oh, spoof a spoof news beat. Oh, oh, I have seen those um, images on the on the media library actually on our on our on the back end of our website actually. Yeah. I was meaning to ask him what they were. Yeah, that's what it is. Oh, I see. And now it and now it's now. It is. Um, I should mention the this the slam podcast is in association with Callaway. Um, so we'll get going. On the PGA Championship, of course. So, Brooks Kepka um, becomes the first sort of player from the Live Golf roster to win a major since its inception last June. Um, I just thought I'd read out a few stats about Kepka's um, third PGA Championship win and fifth major win. So, he's just the third player to win the PGA um, at least three times in the stroke play era. So, that's Jack Nicklaus and Tiger Woods are the other ones. Um, he's the first player born since in 1975 who has won five majors, which is quite interesting. Um, and one of my favourite statistics from last night was that he has now won three majors at three different courses in the same state, which was very interesting. Um, so, yeah, it was sort of classic Kepka, wasn't it? I think from the start, Hovland did quite well to to stick with him um, as much as he could. Um, but, yeah, Kepka was sort of in in beast mode throughout, despite a little sort of blunder, back-to-back, birdie, back-to-back bogeys on the front nine at one stage. Um, what, did, what did you make of watching it? It's just, I think um, like we need to talk about Brooks, don't we? Not in a kind of, we need to talk about Kevin type of way. But he he uh, he is the story, isn't he? And I think that's been sort of one of the big problems, not a big problem, I'm sure he doesn't care less, but that's been one of the sort of anomalies of Kepka's career, that despite his success, he's never really the story. It's kind of a Kepka win has always been something where people just sort of shrug their shoulders and say, oh, Kepka's won. And it's sort of, that sort of feels very different this time. There's kind of a whole, there's two or three different narratives surrounding him, um, and it kind of makes you dig a little bit more into 
him as a person and his career to date and the sort of decisions he's made about his own career. He's very much his own man, isn't he? Um, mm. I think there's, I think there's quite a lot to discuss with him. I'm going to have to pick a few holes in your stats there, though. There's like some massive asterisks by them. <laughs> well, like, so Kepka is definitely the major man, isn't he? So he, he has now won the most majors of any current golfer, basically, if you discount Mickelson and, and Tiger. Yeah. I'm not dis- and I'm not discounting them, but you take my point. Um, and your uh, your state thing only won three times in the same state. Surely that's it. You've got to say not include in Georgia. What do you mean? Well, loads of people have won the Masters three times, haven't they, in the same state? No, it's on different golf courses, though. Oh, different golf courses. Yeah. I do apologise. do apologise. Mm. Not yeah, that, that no, I don't thing. know what they are. He's, um, so he's one at Beth Page. Is that in New York? It is, yeah. Um, where Famously in New York. <laughs> did he win at Shinnecock as well? Where's he that? did, yeah. I don't know. It's really hard, though, isn't it? Um, I'm not yeah. sure about that. Um, so I think that... I was actually in a sort of perverse way, and I guess this is definitely kind of changing horses. I think I was rooting for him yesterday. Um, well, it was a funny old leaderboard, wasn't it? Because we had two kind of villains in uh, Kepka and um, Deschambeau, and then we had mm. three like ultimate sort of nice guys uh, in Hovland um, and Scheffler, uh, and Rose was kind of in, in the mix at one point. Um so I guess this sort of, there's a, I'm sure a lot of armchair fans were kind of rooting for Sheffield to get in the mix or rooting for Hovland to hang on. But I think I think the storyline around Kepka has changed quite a lot. And if you get, if you kind of go back to the start with him, like people sort of talk about his live decision and all the stuff that he said on on full swing. But he's been making decisions about his own career for a long time. Like he he played on the European Challenge Tour um, at the beginning of his career, which I always think he's sort of forgotten. Um, so as a kind of um, absolute sort of stud 23-year-old golfer um, who had a kind of, would have been able to go through the sort of corn ferry route to the PGA or go through PGA qualifying, he chose to come over here instead um, and absolutely obliterated the Challenge Tour for a couple of years, played European Tour for uh, a couple of years uh, in sort of 2014, 2015 before going and playing full-time on on the PGA tour. And that was like, like super non-traditional way of doing it. Um, and I guess it's only with hindsight that you kind of build up a picture of a bloke that kind of makes his own decisions. And he's not, he's not listening to the noise, is he? He's not, no. he's not bothered at all what people are saying about him. Um, and I think you sort of see that in lots and lots of the steps that he makes like big and small. Yeah. I think, um, I think it definitely seems like fans are connected with him more which might explain why you were sort of rooting for him more than you usually would. Fans were connecting with him more after he'd been on the Netflix documentary um, because he, he was quite sort of emotionally exposed on on his episode, I think. He was quite down in the dumps, wasn't he? He was quite devoid of confidence and, and belief, um, having been through all sort of injury 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 um, absences and going through surgery. So I think people can relate to him more now. But he is very much his own person, is he? After, after he won last night, uh, the, the lot, sort of the inevitable questions came of um, what does this mean for Liv? And he, and he got asked that two or three times and he sort of brushed it aside and said, well, this is really for me, isn't it? This is my trophy. Um, I'm, I'm the one playing the golf. So as much as it is probably good, is good for Liv, then at the same time, it's, it's, it's more for him. He, he's, 
before before the full swing came out in February, he has come across as quite like a a very focused, sort of almost almost tiger like focused, unemotional golfer. Um, I feel like he's quite honest. I think he's honest at the same time as as not giving the media much as well. If you, if you sort of see what I mean, yeah, he doesn't I do, expa- I, he's not that expansive, is he? I do see what you mean. Yeah, I don't. I'm not, I'm not sure about your point about connecting with the fans. He wasn't connecting with very much with people who were booing him on the first team. <laughs> I suppose yeah. not. I thought it was a bit harsh, though. I, was, I wasn't expecting that really. Well, he was, he was good about. Was, he was even good about that, though. As in, I'm not yeah. saying he was good about it, but he. I think in his press conference, he'd said some things like it's, he sort of shrugged his shoulders and says, look, it's, it's sport. There's heroes, mm. there's villains, people cheer and they boo, like let them do what they want. They've come, mm. they've paid their money. They've come to watch the game. And that's pretty amazing. I think like there's a lot of kind of wokery, isn't there around? Oh, you shouldn't mm. be booing people in golf. And that's just not cricket for want of a better expression, but he just sort of sees it as part of, part of life. And I think that, that is, that is a big thing that you, I used to dislike the fact that he's like dispassionate about golf. Um, there are certain people playing tour golf who are like just, they're kind of golfers. Like if you sort of go back, I don't know, to like a Monty or someone, like Monty's not going to be playing like Premier League football as an alternative career. And he's not, <laughs> I doubt he's ever done any other sports in his life, like no disrespect, but he's a golfer, isn't he? Like that's his whole thing. And Kepka's not like that. Um, he's like a, he's like a sportsman. Um, mm. And I think, like he, I, I don't want to sound like weird about it, but he's actually quite cool. Like mm. I used to really, I used to not get on board with like, why is this person sort of dominating our sport? He doesn't even like it and find that annoying. <laughs> but like when you when you sort of see him about the place, and I guess sort of on that Netflix documentary, he's just quite a good lad, isn't he? Like, and he's mm. like, there aren't many cool people in our sport, and he. It sort of feels like he could do quite a lot of things. He's like an athlete. Um, so I think you sort of start to sort of seem, and success does this, right? As in the world is viewed through uh, the eyes of the winner um, or history reflects well on the winners. And we try and sort of celebrate our winners. But you do start to see him, um, I think, with a different perspective. Um, so, yeah, I think I think there's a, there's a few things about him. Like he's, he's just definitely not a geek. Yeah, um, which I kind of quite like about him. I think he's his own man, so he sort of he just makes decisions that are for him and the thing that he wants to do. And he's backed himself like a ton in his career, like coming to play in Europe, going to live. Mm. And you'd have to say that those decisions are sort of working out for him. So that is like big tick in the box for me of someone who is like not listening to the noise, basically. Yeah, I suppose being on the live tour, maybe playing less golf. It could help him sort of zone his focus in for the majors even more because if if it was on the PGA Tour, you've got like the players, you've got uh, the, the, the Memorial, you've got the, the FedEx Cup playoffs. So you've, you've got all these things maybe pecking your mind, um, thinking about when when you've got a peak for these weeks. But now he's just got four definitive weeks where he can peak um, or, or where he can aim to peak, I think. Um, I think it's worth adding some injury context as well. So in terms of 19, he torn he had a torn patella tendon in his left knee, um, which caused him to miss the President's Cup. Um, he injured his left hip in 2020. Then the big one was in March 2021 when he dislocated his right kneecap and had ligament damage. Um, he got, at the Masters, he gave very graphic detail about his knee. He said his leg was out sideways and his foot was turned out. Um, yeah, he, he still fell played. over, didn't he? Did he not fall over? Like, yeah, like he fell. Yeah. Yeah. I think he tried to um, sort himself out in terms of 
popping things back in. But it didn't go very well. But yet he still played. And do you remember that Masters when he sort of he couldn't really bend down properly? He was like kneeling, kneeling with one leg straight. And she played golf three weeks later after that. So there's all these things that 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 caused him. And the, the injury record led to a loss, uh, a loss in form. I think he missed a Masters cut twice in a row, um, and then moved to live. But then at the most recent Masters, he admitted that if he was fully fit and firing, then he, he might not have gone to live, which is quite a Quite an interesting, quite an interesting thought. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm desperately trying to keep you off a live narrative for at least a little mm-hmm. while longer. But I think the, <laughs> the kind of but the point you make about um, uh, the focus on the majors and like the kind of move to live has allowed him to do that. But that's that's kind of all he's ever done. Mm-hmm. Like his wider his wider PGA Tour record in comparison to his major record, the, the two things are not the same at all. Um, and I was I was messaging um, someone over the weekend, like saying it's it's quite interesting how the kind of less frequent golf and the kind of more relaxed environment at Live than perhaps there is at a PGA Tour event is suiting some people and, and not suiting others. Um, so I think if you look at like Cam Smith, for example, and he'll probably totally prove me wrong at the Open, but it sort of feels to me that he's someone that needs to play quite a lot. Like he's someone who needs yeah. regular golf to keep his game sharp. Like he's the, he's like a competitor. Um, he is uh, a, like a scrambler. He's like he sort of relishes the kind of um, the various different challenges of it. Whereas Kepka, I think he's he's basically playing range golf on a golf course. Like he's like metronomic. Mm. Um, so I think he can. Um, his golf game is basically the same week in week in week out, and he's just got mm. this attitude that works so well at major golf. Plus, he's got a golf game that I think these days works at major golf, where he's got this one way miss. Um, so it kind of doesn't really matter how you set the course up. He's got his ball on a string the most of the time. He's not mm. trying to hit daft shapes. He's just hitting his shot and playing golf his way. So I think this sort of narrative that's building up that these days majors the only thing that matter, that properly plays into people like Kepka or getting into Kepka's hands because that's the way his brain's always worked. Mm. It was a shame that Hovland couldn't... Where well, was the 16th, wasn't it, where his ball was embedded, he fired his ball out of the fairway bunker on the 16th hole, embedded under, underneath the lip, which happened the day previous with Corey Connors as well. Um, I thought it was much better showing from Victor Hovland, actually. Um, when Cam Smith won the Open last year, Hovland was um, in contention, but he never looked like winning. Whereas in this today, he actually could have conceivably, could, could have conceivably won if he hadn't made a, a, a couple of errors. Um you could say he pushed, he pushed, he pushed Brooks n- nearly all the way, um, but it, there was a sense of inevit- inevitability about Brooks that he had when it, at, at his peak. I think um, I messaged Steve last night when Brooks was about. He's, I think he was one ahead with about five or six to go, and I said, oh, "I can really start writing my report, my my, my story now." I think can't I? He's, he's obviously going to win, and Steve said, "Well, well, well, well don't jinx it." Um, <laughs> but there's, there's <laughs> but there was no way. I don't know. This sort of thing. Like, there's no way Brooks was ever going to fire his ball into the the bottom of a lip, was he? Do you know what I mean? Well, I just, but that that's that's kind of what I'm saying. Like the guy's alpha, right? So and, and like Hovland played unbelievably well yesterday until he knifed his bunker shot on um, 13 or wherever it was. Where was it? 16. Can't remember. 16. Yeah. 16. Um, 
And like he, but he said himself in his press conference, he said something like to stay, to go toe to toe with a guy like that down the stretch, he's quite intimidating. Um, and that's like an amazing thing to say, but you sort of know exactly what it means. Like Kepka's like Teutonic, isn't he? Like, and you could sort of see yesterday that he'd like brought his game face. And he'd obviously said all this stuff about how he'd had done a lot of sort of introspection and spoken to his, his, his team about what they were going to do differently this time around. But just his whole, his whole demeanor um, and his whole, the way he was carrying himself yesterday, like he was walking so slowly, mm. um, seemed to be sort of like allowing Hovland to get to greens before him and walking behind him off tees. Um, he just sort of holds himself like a man who's in like complete control of what he's doing. And I was watching Hovland and I was watching uh, Deshombo as well. And there's kind of just, there was just sort of a, there's more of a sort of frantic way about them where they're just kind of like, they're almost waiting for the implosion. Um, and it's like all, it all sort of felt more like a scramble, I thought, for the, the pair of them. Like Scheffler was different. Scheffler was like, had sort of recovered from his, his very, um, out of character Saturday. And he, I thought, was in full sort of major mode yesterday and he nearly got himself back in the mix, didn't he? Mm-hmm. Um, but like Kepkerman yesterday, I mean, it was just, even when he had, his kind of like little wobble made it even better in that he'd sort yeah. of, he'd had to sort of go into a dark place and then he sort of, and he recovered from that. And that, mm. that I think is, was a demonstration of like renewed sort of mental fortitude and kind of renewed belief in his own body again, that he was like, just going to kind of get the job done. Mm. Um, I thought it was an amazing thing to watch. Like you're obviously too young to remember, but like when Faldo was in his pomp and he went out and made 18 straight pars to win an open, um, he was just kind of like, he was like the Iceman, right? He just kind of got it done. Um, and other people sort of fell away because they just knew he wasn't going to hand it to them. And there was there was a massive feeling of that with Kepke yesterday. I thought that, yes, someone might all of a sudden go and make five birdies on the bounce, but he certainly wasn't going to collapse in a heap. Like, what did he shoot yesterday? Didn't birdie the last, did he show shot 67? 67, yeah. 67. So he's gone 66, 67 through the weekend of a, of a major, which is like, it's like crackers good, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think he's, he's one of them that like, even his bogeys were quite sensible and quite and quite impressive. On, on the seventeenth, when he hit it behind a tree, he just sort of clipped it out and then hit it on the green and made a bogey. I know he had, I know he had a four shot lead then, so obviously not going to go for it. But like, even um, on the sixth hole, I think it was um, when he hit it into the um, penalty area, the same area where Tom Kim became submerged in mud, I believe. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, Kepka. He, he took his drop, hit a solid shot out from there to the green and two-putted. Like, in, in golf, like, I think it's important. I've, I've, I've always tried to carry this sort of thought with me when I play golf, is that if you make a mistake, you can't really... You need to do your best not to follow up another mistake. And I think Kepka showed that, even with the bogeys that he made yesterday. Um, I actually saw the Tom Kim thing live. I was I was about to go to bed... And then I saw it, and then I saw it live, and he emerged from the, from the penalty area with mud literally up to his waist. <laughs> it was ridiculous. The, 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 I just like the fact that he sort of tried to make the best of it by like trying to wash himself off and stuff. Yeah. Like, surely they can just text and say, "Can I have some more clothes, please?" Like <laughs> he played. Uh, he, he actually he nearly made a couple of birdies after that. He, he rolled a few past the hole after that um, yeah. with his trousers rolled up to his knees. 
it was like a very sort of human thing that is just what you do yourself, isn't it? You're like literally caked in mud. And you'd be like, oh, it's all right. I'll just give it a bit of a wipe with this golf <laughs> tape. No one will notice. <laughs> yeah. It's like, no, we've all seen that. Uh, but, um, and then he, was, he was absolutely pissed himself laughing, wasn't he, after when he saw it on social, which was quality. Yeah. It was a bit like that the whole week, wasn't it? It was like the gift that keeps on giving. Like I was um, uh, chatting to Steve last night and all of a sudden um, – your man Michael Block had his hole in one. It's like, what on earth is that out of nowhere? Um, but anyway, I think the, the Kepka thing, uh, I just thought, I just thought fair play to him. Like the, the live, the, 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 the live thing and the full swing kind of documentary where you, where he's been able to say, like, I had all this sort of period of self doubt. And like, that is what I mean. So, I mean, I don't think it's a, I, People will view it as a criticism of Liv, but it really isn't. It's to say that he's he's a person making a decision for himself at that moment in time when he's mm. worried about the state of his knee long term. He's racked with self-doubt about whether he's ever going to be able to cut it again. And I don't, I don't think that's him sort of trying to be smart about and trying to play us on the reason he's made that move because I think you've seen that in his results. Like his results on Liv up until recently haven't been great. Um, and he's only now sort of back back flourishing again so he has obviously made a decision at a moment in time um, and then to like be able to be man enough to say I might not have done that like that is mm. it's pretty amazing stuff and he's just he's not he's not caught up in the sort of hullabaloo of it all is he like he's not he's not trying to stick it to the man about his move to live he's made it for personal reasons um, and I think that's pretty genuine um, and it, like you say, he said in his press conference yesterday, like the wind's for him. It's not for anyone mm. else, is it? Mm. And I'm, I am into these na- the narrative that these people are just golfers and they choose where to play and that's up to them. And he's got major exemptions and he's come back and, and won one and that is like massive power to him. Yeah, I feel like that makes him even more of like a, a guaranteed Ryder Cup player as well because he hasn't burnt any bridges, has he? He hasn't, he hasn't got involved in any litigation. He hasn't got involved with any sort of public verbal verbal battles with Roy McRoy or anything. Well, he's, he's literally friends with Roy McRoy, as we found out in the Masters. They see each other often in Florida. Um, yeah, he's not burned any bridges with, well, with Zach Johnson, with, with, with the PGA Tour. Um, I think Jay Monaghan... What is the, what is the, so what is the state of him and the PGA Tour? So he's not in the lawsuit. He's not resigned his membership. He's No, well... I don't know about his membership, actually, but he, he, he was never in the 11-man lawsuit, um, which now has no one left in it, whereas people like Poulter, Mickelson and Bryson DeChambeau was. Um, but with, with this win, I don't think the Ryder Cup rankings have actually been um, updated at the time that we're talking. He's, he's currently 22nd in the rankings, but apparently he's projected to go to second now. So he might even get... A, so... I mean, I imagine he's going to finish in the top 20 at the Open, probably. And so I was, going to, I was going to ask you about that. So he, there is a chance he will just qualify automatically on the points list. Yeah, I think I saw that he's going to be projected, he's projected to go to second in the points list, which would, and then the top six get an automatic pick. So even then, like, for example, Will Zalatoris hasn't played for ages for injuries, but he, ha- he hasn't even dropped down that much in the, in, in, in the um, rankings. So if Brooks was to act to not even do anything at the Open or the US Open, there's definitely a chance that, despite not playing in ranking events, he would still maintain his position in the top six. Do you think there's any chance of him not doing anything at the US Open and the Open? Well, no, yeah. I mean, certainly the US Open. <laughs> like he's already won it twice, isn't he? He's just he's um, just won he's just won a US Open this week, basically. Well, yeah, exactly. Um, 
So, but it, it, even then, say if he'd come top five this week and then top ten, top twenty at the next two, I think he, he'd be a realistic pick anyway. Um, for for playing reasons and for like political reasons, so that he hasn't offended anyone in his decision to to join Live. Um, so certainly, well, he's definitely going to be at the Ryder Cup, isn't he? Well, I mean, yeah, and and so he should be, I think. And yeah. there are there there are sort of practical differences between um, the the US Ryder Cup setup and the European Ryder Cup setup. So he, he's just won um, an event that's put on by the PGA of America, and they are the administrators of mm, the Ryder of Cup in the US. So you'd be pretty hard pushed for him not to be in a Ryder Cup team that he's qualified for, or even that he would undoubtedly get picked for in different circumstances when he's won the major of the body that owns the Ryder mm. Cup in America. So that is one thing. It is different in... The, in so the, And the PGA Tour, who I guess the argument is with, they've got, they have no stake in the, in the Ryder Cup from a US no. point of view. Um, they provide the players right enough, the majority of the players right enough, but they, they don't, they're not involved in the ownership of it or the administration of it. And it is different in Europe, where the PGA... The European Tour um, have got a 60%... Um, stake in the Ryder Cup. I guess you could argue that the due to the sort of strategic alliance that the PGA Tour has now got a stake in that side of it, which is a peculiarity of that particular mm-hmm. partnership. Uh, and the remain <coughs> owned by the PGA GBNI and the PGAs of Europe. So I think there is a difference between um the European live players and uh the US live players in just in the in the actual sort of the facts of who owns what. Um oh, and that it, it it is slightly muddied by it. Mm. Um, so I, I'm, I, it is, yeah, it, it's. I don't see how he wouldn't, um, he, he wouldn't be um, in, involved with the Ryder Cup. Like, how can he not be? Mm. Do you think anyone um, will play their way in? Do you think Dustin, Dustin could, couldn't he? I, don't, I think he's might be the only one. I don't think. Well, unless Deshambo performs at the next few majors. Do you not but, think Dustin Schultz has just given up, basically? Like you, you were saying on this last week that you thought, you were trying to say you think he's now got enough money and Alex was sort of polite trying to say, mm-hmm. I think he's had enough money for a while, actually, Matt. True, but I think, true. But I think there is, I think what you were trying to say really was that he's just sort of checked out and I think, I mean, who knows, but it kind of does have that sort of feel to it, I would say. I'm not sure he's ever been that bothered. Um, but he, I mean, his Ryder Cup record is ridiculous, right, DJs? He like, like he's got the best the, the best winning Ryder Cup record of any American. Yeah. So there's no way that he can't he wouldn't play if he was in any sort of form as a pick and he, as you say may well qualify. Um so I think I think the US position will definitely be that if they qualify, they're in. Um and if if they don't qualify then they may well qualify for a captain's pick. Who knows? Mm. I mean there's a there was a little bit of a tell I thought from the PGA of America is they had Casey in the field um, as one of their exemptions. I don't know if you oh, noticed yeah. that. Yeah. He didn't play in the end, did he? He, he withdrew in the end. It's a which was, which I just thought, I don't know, it was quite an odd thing. Like if you're the, you're the rights holder and you can pick anyone you want, um, any like Casey's had a decent run in PGAs previously. Um, he's obviously a Brit. So maybe they think it sort of extends the interest over here. I don't know. But of all the golfers in the world that you can choose as you pick how you get to Paul mm. Casey, I'm not sure. Is that not a strange thing, do you think? Because that's not really like any sort of official criteria to qualify for a major, is it? Other than just being chosen. Well, I mean, there are uh, most events will have some sort of exemptions for yeah. sponsors or for rights holders. 
some members of this podcast got into the Brabazon on a invite from England Golf. So there oh, really? you go. I'm well, well versed in there. Mm. The nuances of big event <laughs> invitations. Yeah, I see. Uh, it's sort of it's quite an odd thing, but kind of perhaps I thought maybe indicative of a, an open mind um, on behalf of that particular organisation. No, I see. Um, well, you, you alluded to someone earlier that, that that made headlines in the final round, um, Michael Michael Block. Um, for those who, well, unless you're under a rock last night, Michael Block um, was one of the PJ professionals who qualified for the tournament, one of the 20 ones. I believe he was the only one to make the cut. Um, a bit of background to him. He attended San Diego Golf Academy. Um, he graduated with, with a degree in golf course management. Um, he then became an assistant pro at the Lakes Country Club and then Arroyo Trabuco Golf Club in California, where he now still works. Um, he received a PJ of America mem- membership in 2012. Uh, he's a past California State Open champion, um, and he'd, ma- he'd made he'd made f- uh, six major appearances prior to this, I think, and missed the cut in all of them. So three rounds of 70, then a 70 was a, three rounds of 70, then 71, I think. Um, I thought it was an amazing, amazing story. Amazing that he was drawn with McElroy, and he didn't even realise he was playing with Rory until he was told in an interview, and he could barely, could barely speak after that. Um, so yeah, he, he got paid out over two hundred eighty-eight thousand pounds. His previous best payout. This is the thing with with Michael Block. I really like the story. I really like the story, but I feel like a lot of people were sort of pretending that he was on the bones of his ass, like. But, but, but like but, but before that, he um his best ever paycheck was seventy five grand in two thousand fourteen, which is which is not exactly that bad, is it? And then apparently he charges one hundred twenty five dollars per lesson and five hundred dollars for a playing lesson. So what people, you're saying are, is it's not, it's not really rag- I, yeah, it's not, as much as really I love the story. Yeah. No, as much as I love the story, I love Michael Block. I think people were acting like he, he, he was that homeless fella off, on the, off, off the Corn Ferry Tour the other week, got a hole in one. <laughs> it's not really rags to riches, it's more middle class and quite well off to even richer, is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, but that doesn't take away from it. Um, he, he seems a, a really like humble bloke and he was absolutely buzzing throughout, throughout, throughout the entire week. And then he obviously compounded his amazing week with a hole in one. But I mean, but you really see a hole in one to go straight thought, in as well. I thought he was another one who just seemed like a good lad. Have you seen that video he's done for his golf club? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like proper funny. Like, yeah. I mean, like, it's obviously like a PR video, but he's like actually made it pretty funny. So I, it, I just thought he came across uh, like he was just loving the whole thing. And like, mm. the, he was really humble about it. Like he made a, made a big thing, didn't he, of um, referencing the PGA of America and his fellow PGA pros in his, in his piece with Sky last night. Um, but he was also like obviously just lapping it up, and I thought it it just he he did it in a, a really non cheesy way, uh, and like like absolutely fair play to him. But you you say it's not a big story, and I've heard other people saying that saying no, oh, the guy's a professional golfer, like stop patronising him. Yeah, he is, uh- <laughs> but he's a golf teacher, and there's a massive difference between being a golf teacher and playing full time. And he obviously plays plenty, and you think he's played like 25 PGA Tour events at one point or another, and this was his fifth PGA. So the guy's obviously a brilliant golfer, but still, it is a bonkers achievement. Like, No, I agree. I fully agree. Um, I, see, I see quite a few people on social media sort of pour, trying to pour cold water on him, um, which is a shame, because, yeah, it, it is a fantastic story. Um, and so- he, said, he, said, he said some of it himself, like... 
like there are a lot of golfers out there who on their day can go out and shoot 64, 65, whatever, round a, round a tough golf course. But it's very, very different thing trying to string that together for four rounds. And he shot like one over, rich, stupidly consistent golf around a mm. brutally hard golf course. Uh, and I think that that seemed to be the thing he was most pleased with himself, that he sort of demonstrated that he could do it. Um, and again, that is someone who's like doing it for themselves, right? Like we all see this stuff through the prism of social media and like our, like we, we see like the end result of, um, people's hard work and what they've been through as people. Um, but he will, he would have been doing golf lessons, wanting to be a player for his whole life. Mm-hmm. He's like my age, um, for his whole life. And he finally gets to prove that he can do it. Like I think more than anything else, he'll just feel vindicated as a golfer. Um, and there are a few, there are a few, there are a few bits and pieces because um, he obviously got quite a lot of airtime, didn't he? Because he was leading, and obviously the story. But he had, there was what what's the, what hole was the stupidly long par three? It was like two hundred and forty yards. Might have been the, the, th- the third. The third. Yeah, yeah. Macro and Kepka were both um, trying to bludgeon four irons onto onto it yesterday. And he hit this like absolutely amazing little squeeze cut with his three wood. And it was like a proper, like the guy's obviously a proper golfer, but it was, it was just brilliant, brilliant thing about watching someone just get it done. Um, and in what I thought was a pretty one dimensional golf course, it was someone hitting shots, shots with like craft and like yeah. using what they had to get, get the ball in the hole. Yeah. Um, People were giving out about Jim Nant saying that's one of the best up and downs I've ever seen in my life um, at the 18th yesterday. Well, it was like it was just it was bonkers that like yeah. the, the, the crowd whole, around him as well. I was sitting there watching that, thinking oh, things never end well in this scenario. He's definitely going to miss this putt, and like all of that, he would have known that every single camera was on him and that everybody was watching him, and to try to stay in the moment off a chip that, mm. frankly, was like fatable, thinnable knuckleballable like it was horrible lie to a short-sided pin and he kind of like played it as good as he could do and then front doored the putt it was just it was an incredible yeah. thing and there's a lot of there's obviously a lot of hyperbole in golf and people getting kind of carried away but that was that was a cool story like if you if you put it into the context of our our own open which kind of um leans on its qualifying system um as saying like this is what kind of separates it from other other majors um the truth of it is that I think basically one player a year goes from regional to final qualifying and makes it mm. into the open field. So it's it's about as closed as an open competition can be, really, for you sort of have a go heroes to yeah. get in. The PGA of America obviously retain um, some spots in their own event for PGA qualified pros, and you can kind of see why when you get that kind of story coming out of the side of it. Um, and it does. It, it, it there is a kind of. Um, there is a kind of golf world narrative to it, to that it's linking um, the professional bodies together, and it's ke- it's keeping the grassroots game in touch with the with the players playing on tour, and making us all realise that the, the gap's perhaps not that big on any given day. Yeah, I thought you might be someone that you could relate to, because obviously you do you do regional qualifying, and this is not about like that, me, Matt. This is not about me, Matt. <laughs> don't make it about me. <laughs> but they, they, they did cross my mind, didn't it? On a serious note, they did cross my mind because he is someone you, you can relate to. Like you're not a you're not a pro, are you? You just sort of off plus one. I'm very, I'm a, I'm, no, I'm not a pro. <laughs> no, but like, but like, you, you, you couldn't teach people either, could you? That doesn't stop you me trying. But no, no, I couldn't teach people. No, <laughs> can we please move on from this about me? <laughs> but that, I that, that, that is why I think you, you, you relate him. to him. 
what I could relate to him about him was that he's a middle-aged bloke, he's working for a living, and he would have had a chip on his shoulder about wanting to prove to himself, prove himself as a golfer, and he did it. Mm. And that was, for me, what was the, the essence of the story. Yeah, I thought it was a good point about, um, I thought that's what makes US PGA quite unique in that they have that PGA Professional Championship that gives yeah. 20 places out to 20 pros. Like, I think that's a cracking um, um, feature of it. I don't think any of them have ever finished in the top 10, like ever in the history of the tournament. So to finish in the top 15 was amazing. Um, yeah. And that's earned him an invite next year as well. Yeah. Um, so we'll see him We'll see him back there. Uh, where is it next year? How about Haller it is? Yeah. Um, about Haller in 2024. Um, I saw a tweet. I can't remember who it was. It was... He said that he should just be given a wild card pick for the for the Ryder Cup, <laughs> so he can see see Rory and Block again, but not I mean, this play. Is just, we all, yeah. This is just this is just golf viewed through social media. Someone else said, "Oh, should some can someone offer him a live card?" Like, <laughs> like it's, just leave it alone. Yeah, he has just been, he has been be. given two. He's been given a place this week, isn't he, the Charles Schwab, and yeah, he's yeah. also been given a place at the RBC Canadian Open. I see people giving giving out a giving him a bit of stick for that as well. But, you know, it's it's harmless, isn't it? Like, if you're getting angry about, like, a fella just giving being given a few opportunities on the PGA Tour, you know, I think that's just probably just most likely jealousy, isn't it? The only people who give a shit about what people say on Twitter are people on Twitter. Mm. Try not to worry about it. Yeah, you're right. Um, <laughs> and to do it around such a difficult golf course as well. Um, have, you, have you ever... You've not played Oak Hill, have you? Have you been around it near it at all, playing golf? No, I haven't played it, but, I mean... It was, oh dear, I don't know what to say about the golf course. So it's a Donald Ross, right? Mm. Um, so I played Pinehurst, which is a Donald Ross. Um, and Pinehurst had called Crenshaw in to like do a big revamp ahead of um, Kymer's US Open in 2014, I'm guessing. Uh, anyway, 10 years ago. Um, and the sort of essence of Pinehurst is that you can base it's very wide, as in it's got pretty wide fairways, and then it's got these um, sort of waste areas with these spider plants in. So you can you can kind of get away with quite a lot off the tee. Um, and the sort of genius of it is is the the green complexes, which are all kind of big raised up greens with like huge runoffs on all sides, no no rough around the green. And what it presents you with is like tons of options with your short game. Um, so it's, I think it's in the Pine is one of my all time favorite golf courses because it's mm. very playable for the sort of weaker player because they can often, they can put or whatever. Um, but for the better player, it just pr- creates like huge amounts of doubts. So you're never quite sure whether you're playing the right chip shot or not. Um, so when you go into a, a Ross, um, like, uh, Oak Hill, you're sort of expecting the same thing and that's not what you got. I've got like super fond memories of Oak Hill, like the the amazing um, up and down that Faldo made to beat Curtis Strange in the Ryder Cup oh, and yeah. hug it, hugging Sebi on the last green. That's one of my favourite ever golfing moments. Like he he had the he had the uh, peace of mind to wedge it out when he did it in a left rough on eighteen, and then he I think he hit like seven. I think he pitching wedge, sorry, um, and then hold the putt for a four to have the match in Europe and the Ryder Cup. It's unbelievable sort of scenes. So it's it's one of these places that you, you you have quite a lot of fondness for, and certainly a designer that you have quite a lot of respect for. But I don't know the golf course setup these days for majors. It's it's absolutely on the limit, isn't it? Um, mm. So they just played they played a golf course at seven thousand four hundred yards in 
brutal conditions, right? So it rained incessantly for four and a half hours on Saturday morning. Mm. Um, and it was windy on the, on the first two days. And obviously they've got the greens like on the first two days, super firm and super quick. Um, and it's past 70. So when you're looking at these, I always think you have to remember that when you're looking at the scores in majors these days, that the past 72 and they've just arbitrarily turned two fives into fours. So any any score that you're looking at, so Kepka's won at 10 under as you're nine under, you need to add eight on, right, for old money. So he's he's won at 17 under, really. Yeah. Um, so even, even with a golf course that's that long in those conditions, set up like ridiculously hard they're still they're still able to shoot like really low numbers and people go oh, there's only x amount of players under par that's only because the par's been fucked about with it's the only yeah. reason that the, the score to par looks quite so good or quite so bad which will be around you want to put it um and i don't know just as a spectacle and like i've tried to discuss with the people at my golf club over the weekend and couldn't really get them to agree with me so i'm probably in the minority but the the golf is like one dimensional, right? Because you, you miss the fairway and you can't reach the green because the mm-hmm. green's up in the air and you can't chase it in because it's got fortress bunkers all around it. So it's kind of like the pattern of play is set. Um, and I think you kind of got a leaderboard or you got um, you got a winner certainly, and you got a, a player in Hovland who I think would not regard themselves as the world's best chippers. So and chipping just wasn't a thing. There's no, there was no chipping, was there this weekend? Like no, there was, there's yeah. no craft around the greens. If you're around the greens, you're dungeoning it out and hoping for the best, basically. Mm. And obviously, I appreciate that certain people are better at dungeoning it out and hoping for the best than others. But the short game as a thing was just not a spectacle this weekend at all. Um, so I think that speaks a little bit to course setup. Some of the pin locations, like yesterday, were just bonkers hmm. like a ton of back a ton of back pins a ton of pins tucked away they're trying to it's golf on the absolute limit all the time like how thick can we make the rough without it being stupid how tough can we get the pins without it being stupid how fast can we get the greens how much can we stretch the, stretch the golf course and like people people are bitching and moaning about the bifurcation of the golf ball well that is bifurcation of a golf course in my opinion because you or i would just walk off after six holes yeah, um, Robert McIntyre said during, uh, before it all started that it's it, as hard a golf course as he's ever played, as he can remember playing. Um, two, there was two par fives over 600, 600 yards. Um, and the hardest hole um, in terms of scores was the sixth hole, the 503 yard par four. It averaged 4.5, just over 4.5 in scoring, um, which is pretty incredible. Um, but I thought he made a good point there, like, that Kepka was still well. A lot of them were still under par after after four after four rounds, which is incredible golf. Um, and I suppose I suppose when you think about it, um, with, with, with golf ball bifurcation, the way you've mentioned it there, does a golf course? I was thinking while watching it, does a golf course need to be long to be difficult? And I think it probably does because these players hit it so far and. A lot of people were drawing conclusion, uh, drawing comparisons between uh, Oak Hill and Winged Foot in 2020. I think they thought it might have been that type of week where Bryce and DeChambeau just sort of bomb and gouged it round. But I don't think I don't think it was like that as such because um, he was sort of the only one that cracked the code of Winged Foot that week. Whereas this week, I think it was a bit more calculated to play 
um, as opposed to just wow. power. But that, um, that that wing foot week, I mean, don't, so at that point, Bryson's basically like the Michelin man, isn't he? And he was hitting it mm. 25 yards and further than anyone in the field. And yeah. you say crack, crack the code. The code was how close can you get it to the greens because you're not going to hit the fairway. Yeah, I suppose so, yeah. Um, but so so, so it, when, when you were explaining your view of the golf course then, were you, is that, is that praise or criticism? Well, it's, it, what it isn't is absolutely zero disrespect to... Oak Hill, which is like an amazing historical venue with an amazing mm. designer. And it's also no disrespect to the uh, PJ of America are trying to put on the best possible tournament and find the best winner. And it's really hard, I think, to sort of say because you don't want to be a curmudgeon because Brooks Kepke was almost certainly the best golfer last week, right? Mm. But what I'm saying is that on the what you've got people saying, don't don't roll back the golf ball, don't buy Furricate equipment. You can do it on course setup. You can um, you can make the course harder for the best players and leave equipment and the regulations alone. Can you? Mm. So what what are you going to do next year? What are you going to do the year after? Like how how when Oakmont when we go back to Oakmont for a PGA in twenty thirty three? How long is it going to be then? How narrow are the fairways going to be then? How thick are the roughs going to be then? Like we're we're at a point where. Um, there's so, so many questions have been answered in golf via fitness technology, um, mm. as in teaching technology, uh, launch monitors and all the rest of it. Psychologists, like they think these people hit it better. They think better. Um, so yeah, it's, it, we're at the absolute limit. And like maybe people mm. have been saying we're at the absolute limit for a hundred years. I was reading, um, Mackenzie spirit of St. Andrew's book where he was saying we're at the absolute limit. <laughs> And that was literally a hundred years ago, um, <laughs> but it, but there, there must come a point, surely, where you can't do it on golf course setup. So that's one point. And my second point is people who who are wetting themselves about, oh, we want to keep playing the same games as the pros playing. So please don't buy buy Furicate the golf. Mm. I don't know why I'm doing a David Brent voice. Um, but the game's already by Furicated, right? Because you and me could not play that golf course. No, well, you give it a bit a better stab than me, but I've, I've I wouldn't, I've, I've Matt, because if if the par fives are six hundred yards long, that means I'm basically making bogeys, doesn't it? Yeah. You're laying up regardless, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, laying up a couple of times. <laughs> uh, and par, if par fours are two hundred, however many yards long, I can't do it. Mm. I think I was I remember talking to my uncle about this about sort of golf golf courses being rolled back, um, and. I think his argument was that, but scoring isn't getting any, any that that much better, really. And I do get that, but it's not it, scores aren't, aren't astronomical because golf courses are being pushed to the limit of sustainability, aren't they? It's, I think it's all about sustainability. Like I remember at the Masters um, when the golf ball rollback proposals were made public. Um, Justin, I remember Justin Thomas made a comment saying. Oh, I bet Augusta are pleased that they just bought all this land now to extend the golf course. Because in a few years, that's going to be a waste of money because the golf ball is going to be rolled back. But I just thought, well, do you not can you not hear yourself like that is that is surely the issue here. Like golf courses aren't Augusta, are they? they the, the golf courses not all golf courses can have access to buying more land. So in terms of what you're saying, being pushed to the limit, it is it's being pushed to the limit of sustainability like in 10 same 15 years time if Oak Hill gets another major 
But what what is that golf course going to look like? Well, um, yeah, exactly. I, yeah, yeah. Um, I thought you raised a, an interesting point before the podcast to, um, to discuss was the use of rangefinders. Um, as far as I'm aware, the, the, I think this is the only tournament that uses rangefinders in competition play. I don't think any other. Um, so certainly men's tournaments. I, not, I can't remember if any LPGA events have have used them yet. Um, I, I don't know, but it was like a notable thing yesterday that they were allowed. Yeah. Um, why do you think that is? Why do you think the PGA is the only sort of tournament that's trying to break them in? Is it? Is it? Is it? Is it a good thing that they're being used? Is it, is it meant to help pace of play to dial in your yardages as opposed to all this deliberation with your caddies? Well, I mean, it's sort of str- it's a strange thing that you can't, isn't it? Mm. Um, as in, these things exist, uh, and we're sort of, and it's weird when you kind of watch the open or a regular tour event. Um, people can't use them. Um, it's a bit like on EastEnders where they never mention football, which I always find peculiar. Um, <laughs> uh, but they always not every- stand, don't they? That's, that's the- <laughs> Must yeah. assume that. <laughs> not ev- not everyone was using them. I'm not even sure it was the first year that you were able to use them. Um, I think I think it's been the case at the PJ for quite a while. Um, so I think like all power to them. I mean, I've, I've got no idea like what the thinking is or whether it's um, uh, a pace of play thing or what. But mm. like you're not gaining any advantage, are you? you you're your caddy has been out and they've got pin sheets. They've been out and mapped the whole course within an inch of its life. They're yeah. going to have all of the information they need, range finders or no range finders. Um, and quite often um, you're not really interested in – you. The, the flag number is only one of the numbers you're interested in. You're also interested in the back of the green and the front of the green. That's a sort of as, as important information as what the actual yardage to the pin is. Um, so I guess um, why wouldn't you? Um, why wouldn't you let them use it? I guess it'd be important. Like a lot of these things have kind of slope um, alterations built into them now where they'll tell you kind of what the elevation change in terms of what yardages you'd be adding on or taking off for a hill. Um, so I think that's part of craft, isn't it? But the idea that um, having a, a laser to zap in the distance is giving you an advantage, I think is long gone. Um, I think if you're going to go down that line of argument, um, then you ought to be saying no yardage books, um, no caddies walking the course. I saying it's all should be done from feel. Now that would be a way of uh, testing different things, wouldn't it? You just put caddies and yardage books in room one hundred and one. No, I'm not, I'm not saying that. Uh, I'm saying that you can still have a caddy to come and carry mm. your bag and coax you around, but you just get rid of the idea of uh, yardage books and pin placements, and that would re- restore some craft. But like, yeah. what I really mean is that the the genie's out of the bottle. So of course you should be able to use a laser. Why not? I like it. Yeah, I, I like the idea of of the craft. Like with the yardage book and sort of notes on the green that shows the caddy and potentially the player has been out there and used their actual understanding of golf and the, the knowledge of the golf course to actually make their own notes. Whereas obviously a range finder is um, there's no skill involved, is there? You've got to line it up with with your mark and and record the yardage. Um, but I suppose, I, I feel like the PJ is being used as like a guinea pig for this abuse of range finders. I'm, I'm sure it will be, if they're using it at one tournament, surely that, that is a gateway to using it on a regular basis in the next few years. I don't really see why not. Um, but as you say, they have already forensically like detailed the course in their notes. 
Um, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that rangefinders are completely are completely needed on golf courses. Uh, well, sure. in, in, in professional competitions. Shall we move on from rangefinders? Yeah, um, I thought we'd talk about obviously. I thought we'd talk about um, Michael. Well, we already talked about Michael Block, but his playing partner Rory McIlroy. Um, you mentioned there the, the sort of the chipping element of the golf course. Um, another stats Rory Rory fell down on was scrambling. Um, he was tied forty fifth in scrambling, which could potentially be the reason for um, his downfall this week. He was he was tied fifty seventh in driving accuracy. But I don't think that was the downfall, considering he was he was ninth in strokes gained from tee to green. So his driving couldn't have been giving him that much trouble in the four rounds. Um, I was quite surprised to see that he was quite down there in scrambling, considering I feel like he's quite a gutsy player, isn't he? So I think a lot of the his is a lot of his performances in major championships where he sort of hangs round is down to his able his ability to hold, hold long putts and and maybe chip in the odd the odd occasion. Um, it was a bit, a bit of a typical Rory performance, wasn't it? In a major, it was a bit of a backdoor, a backdoor top seven, wasn't it? Do we have to talk about Rory? I mean, I messaged my mate saying yesterday, I literally want to punch him. I'm so sick of it. Like mm. every, every single time, I can't think of a decent analogy for it. It's just there's part of me early on in the week where you're like, is McIlroy in, involved? Oh, maybe I'm not that interested in watching. Then you sort of get over yourself. And then he goes and gets fucking involved and you think, here we go. And then, oh no, not here we go. Do you and think, do you think so, he's ever going to win so, another major? Yeah, I do. Yeah. But there's just, there's so, there's so many things like that. The drivable par four yesterday, the 14th, right? At that point, McElroy's got himself to two or three under, hasn't he? And he's obviously three or four groups ahead of the, uh, the leaders. McElroy's whole life, since he's been 14, he has been hitting his driver miles through the air onto par four greens. Like, that's that's what Roy McIlroy does. And he turns up there. If he knocks into that green, makes birdie, might even make eagle, he can get within two of the lead and he's, like, got a chance of posting a score. Oh, no, of course, he fans it into the one place he can't mm. hit it. It's like... I don't, I don't, I'm, just, I'm not sure I can ever think of anyone that is more infuriating to watch. And listening to him speak afterwards, he's like, he's sort of absolutely tearing your hair out when he's saying, I think I've just put myself under so much pressure because I'm so focused on the win. I'm just going to go out and try and uh, play a golf tournament. It's how about you go out and just try and hit a golf shot? Like that would be like one other way of looking at it. Like what you mean, yeah. <laughs> But I've, I've said it on quite a few podcasts of ours. Like, I think he gets he gets in his own head so much. I think I know he's he's always got pressure piled on him at literally every tournament he plays. Um, but I think he gets in his own head. He, he he must have so many things going through his. He acts like he has so many things going through his head with each with each round, and he has to justify himself to, to different to different people and to himself. But yeah, like like you said, I don't think he takes. It's a good point you raise. Actually, yeah, it, it's almost as if he doesn't take. Oh, there's that cringy saying in more than more in football it, than golf. It's a cliche for a reason. Yeah. One yeah. shot at a time. Yeah, that's what you do. Well, that's, yeah, like well, I was gonna say, the cringy football cliche is take one game at a time. But people say it because that's what you're meant to do, isn't it? And yeah, you raise a good point there. Like a lot of looking ahead with Rory, isn't it? Not maybe oh, not looking ahead, looking back, looking sideways. Like 
he, he, but the reason we're all so fond of him is, yes, he's got a world-class golf game and it's like absolute poetry when he's in full flight, but he's absolutely one of us because he's just like properly, like mentally scarred, mentally flawed. <laughs> he sees too many things. Mm. Um, and like the, the, the clarity that someone like a Kepka has, like he's just there to get the job done. There's no context. The context comes after. McRoy, I think, is thinking of the context of what he's doing whilst he's doing it. Like we're all sitting at home thinking, oh, if McElroy can knock it in the middle of the 14th green, he might make eagle and get within one of the lead. Unfortunately, he's thinking exactly the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> and it's the worst possible thing you can do on a golf course. So God, like, yeah. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, he, he said it himself in, uh, in his interview with Sky afterwards that he felt like he was getting closer, but he still felt miles away. Uh, and I think he played like that. He played like mm. very little belief in what he was doing. But hopefully it's like a stepping stone to a, a, a better end to the major season. Um, God love him. Yeah. Well, Hoylake could be a good chance, couldn't it? And I know you could say that Yeah, for, yeah, yeah. for loads of he different could, majors yeah. in the last nine years that he hasn't won one. But so he, he won there in 2014. Um, so you have good memories coming off that. I actually went to that one. Um, with my dad, um, I don't know why we chose that to go to that one, but we went. We came up on the when did we go? We might have gone up on the Thursday and then watched the golf Friday, Saturday, Sunday, then came back on the Sunday. Um, no, I enjoyed Hoylake and Royal Liverpool. Um, so I think that that would represent a decent chance for him to finally finally break break this run. But as you say, I think that what you've just said is is what I've always thought of McElroy, but I just couldn't put it into words. He does he does see too many things. Um, and I think he, he's. I was speaking to a to to a, a fella, um, a journalist, on my recent trip to um, to Sota Grande in Spain, and he said we made a raised raise a very good point. He was. Um, he said people like Kepka, maybe DJ. I know McElroy's won more than DJ in terms of majors, but Kepka and DJ are very. have got very bottlenecked, narrow, narrow-minded vision when they're playing golf. They they just hit golf shots. And I can't, especially DJ, like he's a very laid back, I don't want to say like dumb, but he certainly, the way he, the way he speaks and the way he, the way he speaks and the way he acts doesn't sound like he's got sort of many, many worries in his head, if you know what I mean. So he's very narrow minded in the way he plays golf. And I think Kepp was like that. Whereas McElroy, as well as what goes on off the course with his verbal battles with live people and his, the, all these things that he's trying to achieve with the PGA Tour, he's got so much rattling around in his head. I'm not surprised. I'm really not surprised that he can't. Well, he has won a golf tournament. He won one in January in Dubai. He won plenty last season without without winning a major. But I think it's a sign that it's taking its its toll on him. Like maybe the last Open last year at St Andrews was was maybe we're seeing sort of the 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 debris of that. Maybe I don't think I can talk about that golf tournament. <laughs> God, upset. that was. Oh, it was just, it was awful, wasn't it? Yeah. It was absolutely He was even in awful. control after nine, wasn't he, as well? Like, it was, no one was doing anything. And he he just sort of sauntered into, like, a, a two-shot lead, didn't he, after nine that day? He just, but he, the thing is, he'd gone out and done exactly what he intended to do, which was it in the middle of the greens and not make any mistakes. Mm. And then when he needed to change gear on the back nine, it just didn't happen for him. But, Christ, yeah. it was heartbreaking, wasn't it? Um, yeah, it was. The McElroy thing, though, uh, does speak to what was quite a quietly good week for Europe um, from a Ryder Cup perspective, I thought. Mm. Um, so, obviously, Hovland tied second, 
McElroy was top 10, was he? Justin Rose had a good week. Shane Lowry had a good week. That's it. Sepp Stracker was tied seven. Fleetwood had, Fleetwood had a decent week. Victor Perez. Sepp Stracker, yeah. So there were quite a few Europeans, sort of old names and new names, I mm. thought, that um, was encouraging, perhaps. Yeah, certainly. I think it's quite interesting that, just like one last thing, it's quite interesting in um, the first two rounds. Um, obviously, this is like no coincidence. It's, it's, it's pre-decided. I think Luke Donald's played with Adrian Moronk and, oh, I can't remember. It was Adrian Moronk and another European sort of hopeful for the Ryder Cup and then Zach Johnson and he played with Kurt Kitayama and yeah. Sahih Figada, I think. I think that's quite interesting. Maybe a few clues were given there about who the captains are thinking about choosing if if they don't qualify automatically. Because um, obviously Sahih Figala, he hasn't won just yet. However, he would his play and his form on on the tour. It was Yannick Paul who Luke Donald played with as well. Um, yeah, so Figala's form on the tour as well as Kitty Armour. He won the Arnold Palmer. So yeah, so and then in Donald's case, Yannick Paul and Adrian Moronk. So there might have been a few clues there um, as to who Donald is very much looking at choosing. Mind you, Moronk and the way Moronk and Yannick Paul are playing, they could definitely get automatic picks. Yannick Paul, I think, yeah, is third in the sure. European points Surely list. they'll get in automatically. I think it's quite a common yeah. thing that um, Ryder Cup captains will get placed with, um, get paired with rookies or mm. Ryder Cup hopefuls. They're trying to, like, they're, they're obviously generationally different from these people. So Donald will have obviously have a great relationship with Rose. Um, particularly McElroy, some of the sort of older guard, although presumably he's fallen out with most of the older guard now. But the kind of younger players, they have no relationship with Luke mm. Donald, do they? And that's a big thing, I think, going into Ryder Cup weeks. Exactly the same for Zach Johnson and Thigala, is that they're not going to, they haven't played on tour together for 25 years. Mm. Um, so I think a lot of it is about seeing them, what they're like under pressure, seeing what they do and don't like, trying to just build some rapport with people. Um, so I don't think it's a clue. I think it's prep. Yeah, yeah, I see. Um, yeah. Yeah, so I think I've been talking for long enough now about the PGA and all the repercussions and all the all the, all the big talking points from it. Um, in the next few podcasts, we've got a few couple of specials. I managed to speak to a certain DP World Tour winner. Hang on um, a minute, you're saying this one's not special? No, it's, no, it's very special. But the, the, the ones that are coming up are even are extra special. Um, we've got a couple of interviews with DP World Tour winners um coming in the next few weeks. Um, I won't reveal who they are, but they are... I'll give you a little clue. There's two English DP World Tour winners um, from the last 12 months. So very exciting chats with them um, coming up in the next few, next few episodes as we enter a sort of brave, a brave new world of the, of the Slam podcast, isn't it? It is a brave new world, yeah, in the post-Alex era. Mm. We haven't... What Indeed. we have managed to do is get through... This entire podcast without conflating Brooke Kepka's victory with what it means for Liv. Mm. Well, I have because written about means... that. I've written about that earlier, oh. so you can you can you can go on the you can go on the NCG website and read it anyway. And what have you written? I've written that um, Liv Fields and events could get more, or no, 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 not that they should, but they could get more respect now. Now that these live players are performing very well in major championships, but the live field didn't win the PGA, did they? Brooks Kepka did. Well, no, but for example, for example, no, but you've got Reed and 
who has played well in both majors. You've got DeChambeau, who played very well last night and finished very well. Mickelson at the Masters. Neiman, um, Mito Pereira. These are all live players that people like Danny Lee and Charles Howe III, they've won live events this season and they've beaten all these players that perform on the big stage. So maybe these live events do deserve a bit more credence, a bit more a bit more respect. I think, yeah, I mean, those golfers 100% do. Um, and they're, they're obviously finding their way into major fields on exemptions and will continue to do so for many years. Um, but I just, I think anything beyond that is conflation of two separate things, personally. I will read your piece. Well, I mean, also, there are there, there are things that can turn you off live events altogether. Like, for example, I don't know, like, obviously the beer-throwing antics and the loud music and, you know, so the players, some of the players are quite divisive themselves, aren't they, as well as Greg Norman. So people can be turned off mm-hmm. by that as well. But but, but purely field field quality. I think these major championships so far in 2023 have shown that live is not this like washed up retirement home that some people think it is. So because Patrick Reed and Phil Mickelson are people like uh, are major champions who are still clearly competitive on the biggest stage, aren't they? And Kepka and DeChambeau. Yeah, 100%. But I don't think anyone's ever said that they aren't, have they? Well, well, for example, yeah, but I think it gets it gets tarred with the brush that people who have gone to live have, have, have essentially admitted that they, they've no longer got the best in them. I think that's certainly something that's been thrown at live before, isn't it? But again, like this is just through the optics of social media, isn't it? I don't, I just don't, I don't think that I don't think that is a particularly accurate view. As in, Liver paid a lot of money to attract some of the world's best golfers and mm. some of the biggest names in golf. Um, and a lot of those golfers have got major exemptions because of their unbelievably good recent playing pedigree. Um, now, there's 48 fields in a live event, so that doesn't obviously apply to all of them. Um, and I, I think that what the sort of sensible world is coming around to saying is that, of course, these people should be allowed to play in majors and Ryder Cups if they're exempt or they mm. qualify. And anything beyond that is kind of subjective and um, will be relying on all sorts of factors that are impossible to debate because there's so many unknowns. But I don't think anyone, or certainly not anybody, any right-minded person is saying that um, Cam Smith or Brooks Kepka or DJ or Patrick Reed. Um, should be denied a place in a major because they've earned they've earned their right based on prior qualifying criteria. I think it's conflation of that to then say so. Therefore, that the liver as an entity, um, and it's your words, not mine, deserves more respect. I don't think anyone's disrespecting live, but it's a different product to anything else mm. that's out there. Um, so I think to then move that on. You're then into well, should it get world ranking points? That's a different debate entirely. Yeah. But for the players that you're talking about, their playing careers, recent playing careers, and their the exemptions that they've earned themselves into majors and possibly Ryder Cups, that should 100% be honoured. Well, yeah, I, I, I'd agree with that. But I, I, I do, I do think it is a different product, and I don't even think that product even potentially might not even require like amazing players because it is like they focus on the entertainment factor quite a lot, don't they? And they and it's very important where they hold these events because certain areas definitely feed a a um a, a, a hungry golf audience, such as in Adelaide. Like I know it helps that Kepka the Shambo, DJ Smith were there in Adelaide. Um but 
if that, that was an example of a place that just wanted a golf tournament. But in terms of strength of field, I think these major championships have these major championships have shown that these fields are stronger than we think. I think that was my point in my in my sort of column, if you like, earlier that um, for those, and I know what you mean in terms of social media, like people who people who tweet constantly about about, about the situation. Um, I don't necessarily like represent the masses, like people like us who obviously don't throw shit, shit, shit at lid all the time. Um, but I think like there is a consensus that one of Liv's big, big weaknesses is that their fields are not only small but they're weak. And I think these major championships have shown that they're not as weak and they don't contain as many so-called washed-up golfers who are who are ready to turn their backs on their careers. <clears throat> As, as, I, think I don't think that's. I don't think that's that. That's the case, really. No, but I think that's that's fair enough. I just think we should, need to be careful not conflating what is Brooke Kepka's achievement with uh, then a different narrative about what that means about live strengths of field. Hmm. In Brooks Kepka, they've got one of the best golfers in the world. So he's just proven that. That's what's undeniable. Hmm. Whether the 48th best player on live is as good as the 48th best player on the PGA Tour or in the current uh, mm. world rankings is a different debate, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that is. Um, Can we go now? Because we've done yeah. so well not to get into that. We have done. Well, that's why I kept it quiet, really, because I've already written about it this morning. It was my fault, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah, as I, as I say, we have got um, a few interviews coming up on the, on the, on the, on the slam soon. Um, so be sure to still keep listening. Um, as well as keep listening to the From the Clubhouse podcast, which Tom will be on this week. Is is, is the as the subject of the podcast been decided yet, or is it up in the air still? Matt, we're like way ahead of you. So we're actually recording two this week. We're recording oh. a pre-open podcast, which will be out later in the year with James Bledge, the course manager at Hoylake. Oh, the former Royal Seaports man. I don't want to get into his working history but yeah if you must <laughs> and uh we're also recording our the one for this week which is going to be diving back into the murky world of whs oh. uh, now the season is underway i've got lots of things to say about um uh, counting scores all right well it's, it's easier for you to get your house in order because i've because i've lost my podcast teammate well I? I will come back at any time i've thoroughly enjoyed it <laughs> Turns out I had more to say about tour golf than I thought. <laughs> okay, well, thanks anyway, Tom. Cheers. Thank you for having me on, Matt. See you later. <laughs>